Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, academic, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I hold space for women and non-binary individuals to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for being here today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Rachel. Rachel Burns truly is a wonder woman, figuratively and literally. The cancer-surviving mother of two and singer-songwriter has been an outspoken activist both on the streets, where for years she dressed in Wonder Woman costume protesting the Trump administration, and in her music, using her voice as a beacon of positivity and a vessel for change. She is also the co-founder of the patient-led nonprofit organization called Cancer Culture, a multimedia social platform focused on shifting the paradigm and changing the way you think about breast cancer through art, culture, and e- equitable development. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for coming to the podcast today. Wow. Thank you so much, Megan, for having me. It's great to be here on the Inspired Woman podcast. Well, what I would like to, you mentioned cancer in your bio. What I would like to do is have you kick it off. When did you find out? What were those feelings? What was going on? Just share with us what your journey was like. I'm like I told you earlier, I'm just here to hold space. Yeah, I actually was diagnosed with breast cancer 10 years ago, almost to the day. Um, And I was a really busy mom. I was running um, a real estate business. And so I was working, you know, seven days a week on call. And I had two daughters, one who just turned four and one who was 10 months old. And um, I was also singing out um, around the DC area at least once, maybe three times a week. So I was burning the candle on both ends. Um, And I was extremely stressed, you know, but holding it together with a smile on my face. And um, I found a lump in my breast with my, in my 20s. And um, I had a mammogram and they said, there's no reason to biopsy that because, excuse me, because I was too young for breast cancer, which is total BS. So anybody in their teens or 20s or even 30s that hears that from a doctor, um, that is not the case. Like you can get breast cancer at any age. Yeah, you can get breast cancer at any age. And that was something that, you know, I was innocent on uh, in my 20s. So um, I just went on my merry way and I had uh, my first pregnancy at 30 and I definitely had that same lump in my breast. And um, I went to the doctor and they said it was mastitis. So I didn't get it checked out. And also, I was also very healthy my whole life. I've been a lifelong vegetarian and I was an alkaline vegan because of other health issues I had. So you know, I was innocently thinking, you know, I'm as healthy as an ox. I don't need to worry about this. Um, and then when my second pregnancy came along and I was breastfeeding, um, the lump started just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and harder to pump out of my left breast. And um, I went in thinking it's nothing. I'm going to get this checked out again. It's going to be mastitis. And lo and behold, I was stage three breast cancer. So my babies were just babies and my 10 month old had just started eating food like a month earlier. 
So she was still very much breastfed baby. And so I had to wean her overnight because I was having, you know, tests and scans the very next day. Mm -hmm. And that um, I didn't really have a choice on um, my treatment plan because it was stage three. So I had to do the gamut. You know, they gave me the strongest chemo. They gave me, you know, six weeks of radiation. I had a double mastectomy. So it was a nine month process of going through that treatment. I call it my third baby. (laughs) My life coming back to me. Um, And it was just really difficult. You know, there were times I couldn't breathe. There were times I couldn't walk. There were times I would fall if I walked. And subsequently, you know, in the past 10 years, I've had seven surgeries due to breast cancer and complications from medication. Um, I call myself just a hoe with a hole at this point. I've got (laughs) rid of all of my female parts. Um, Because, you know, I want to be here for my kids and I have two daughters and it's really important for them to have a mom. So I just, I just cut everything out and, um, you know, I'm still here somehow. Wow. Yeah, that, that's amazing. My grandmother actually had breast cancer and she had to have a mastectomy too. Um, And it's a, it, it really, all of it really does put a toll on your body. She ended up having um, issues with her arm and the circulation Mm -hmm. in her arm after um, her, her time doing the chemo and everything like that. What kind of, um, what kind of, what are they called? I'm like, where are my words today? What kind of complications <laughs> did you have? Like le- from the chemo, from the, you mentioned a little bit that you had some stuff going on. What was that like? Cause I think it's important for people to hear that um, because if you get cancer, you're probably going to go through it. Maybe being prepared is the best thing for you. Yeah. I mean, they don't tell you when you get diagnosed that it's going to be an ongoing forever thing, you know, and that, um, you know, one thing I've learned as an advocate for breast cancer is that even if you're diagnosed at an early stage, stage zero to stage three is still considered early stage and stage four is metastatic, which you will eventually die from it, the disease. Um, One third of us in that category um, become metastatic. So we recur at stage four. So um, that is something that no one tells you. Um, I just from the medications, you know, they threw the book at me because I was a young mother. I was 35. I had two young daughters. My oncologist was also the same age, had kids the same age. So she really was like, we're just going to go as aggressive as possible. Um, and that really affect my mobility forever. Like my legs are constantly in pain, um, from neuropathy and, um, I have osteoporosis in my hips, my, um, in my spine. Uh, from the medication. So it, it can, it can really hurt a lot. Um, and I'm only 45. Um, and, you know, really when they remove your sexual organs, um, you just basically are, you know, you don't really have any sex drive anymore and you don't have any kind of, um, it, it just is painful, you know? So that's something that, that cancer patients talk a lot about is that, You don't know the side effects of those things. So I lost, you know, not only my breasts, but I lost my ovaries. I lost my uterus. I lost um, my sex drive. I lost my sexuality in some ways. Um, uh, Thankfully, I have a wonderful husband who 
loves me no matter what. Um, very lucky. And a lot of women don't have that, you know, and have to struggle through finding a new partner or, you know, making peace with not having a partner. Um, and so that's, you know, there's all kinds of complications and, um, but, you know, I think that the thing, there's a few things that got me through, you know, number one was, um, I had to get through for my kids. You know, Mm -hmm. there was one point in my chemo where I was in bed and I couldn't move, which is really hard for me to do. Um, I'm a go, go, go person, or I used to be, I'm a recovering workaholic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I was in bed and I'd never had a nanny. You know, I I was one of those people that took my kids to work with me. Um, So I was hearing the nanny that I hired downstairs playing with the kids and I just wanted to be with them. And I literally couldn't walk. You know, I had had, just had finished chemo and I had a mastectomy like three weeks after. So it was really hard for me to walk. So I thought, God, if I could just get up and do something as a mom, you know, this is where I was at the point at this point. And I got up and it took me about 20 minutes just to sit up. Then it took me about 10 minutes to walk 15 feet to the bathroom to try to do laundry. I felt like if I just did laundry, like I would be somewhat useful to my family, um, which the best thing for me to do was just to sit in bed and relax. But I right. didn't know that then. <laughs> like I've learned so much through cancer. But um, so get the laundry out of the, the washer and it hurts so badly, you know, on both sides of my arms that I just you know, fell on the floor and crying. At this point, I had no hair. I didn't even have an eyelash. I was, my eyes were sunken in and my skin was gray and yellow. And I just allowed myself to have that pity party, which I was holding up the strength for the kids and for myself for so long. I never allowed myself to just, I mean, I had, I, I, I had to learn how to cry when I got cancer. I hadn't cried for 10 years and I had to learn to cry, but I would cry in the basement. I would make a time to cry. So this just came over me uncontrollably. I wasn't scheduling my time to cry. Now, that's how I was. I was I'm totally not that person anymore, but I was at, at that point very type A. So, you know, I got myself... I allowed myself to cry it out. And then I stood up and I saw myself in the mirror and I looked like I was in my eighties. I had completely bald, you know, nowhere how I am now. And I was so weak and I, I looked at myself and I thought I could just let myself go right now. Mm, That's how weak I was. I was like, I could just pass right now. And it would be fine. Like it was a weird thing. And then I looked at myself and I caught myself in the mirror and I'm not a really big mirror person, but Mm -hmm. I caught myself in the mirror and I saw it. I saw that, the ability to just let go. And I got angry and there was like something in my gut that looked back at myself and was like, don't you dare. Don't you dare give up on this because you have to be here for these kids. At that point, I hadn't even realized that I had to be here for myself, but I was just like, get the fuck back in bed. 
and rest. And I, it was like I had made a choice at that moment to not give in. It was like the willpower within just sparked back in me and like flooded my body and was just like, get back to bed and get better because you're not giving up. And um, I've had a, several moments like that in, in my recovery of just like, I could f- almost feel my spirit kind of lifting out. And it was like, nope, you've got two kids, got two daughters that you have to be there for. And right now, you know, my daughter is downstairs. Um, she's 14 and she just had spinal fusion her entire back um, oh, two wow. weeks ago. And I'm here for her. You know, mm-hmm. and I celebrated my 10, 10 year a few days ago. Um, and it just reminded me that I'm here. I made that choice. You know, I made that commitment to be here and mind over ma- matter. And I can bring her through this really huge struggle that she's going through now with all those things that I had learned. And this is why I'm here. And this is why I made that choice to be here. Yeah. Um, my grandmother, she wanted to live to see my oldest daughter graduate high school. She said she knew she would probably not see all of her grandchildren graduate high school because like the youngest grandchild, I think is like not even in elementary school yet. So like it, and she just passed, she just passed, um, uh, a month or two months ago. Um, not from breast cancer, from other things, but, um, she did, unfortunately, my daughter graduated during COVID and during like lock, not lockdown, but during like where it was like very specific. So she was only allowed so many people to come and, um, we all sat in the bleachers outside so that you weren't spreading all the germs. And so my grandmother actually couldn't be there but she was able to watch it virtually. They did air it virtually. So she said something like you as she had a reason to stay here, even though she really wanted to give up. That's so true. You know, I see that because now I'm involved as an advocate and there's, you know, hundreds of people um, that um, I know that pass away, you know, and one of my dearest friends just passed away two days ago. Um, she was one of the best biggest, brightest lights in the cancer community. Um, But one thing I've learned from watching people live through dying is um, they need something to cling on to, like an event or a trip. You know, like one of the nonprofits that I help out with um, takes metastatic women, NBC travelers around, you know, for bucket list trips. So if they don't have that graduation or that wedding or, that, you know, event to look forward to, they have a really fun girls trip with other cancer people to look forward to. Um, And then, you know, oftentimes after those events happen, you know, the person does feel at peace to, you know, kind of transition to the other side. So it's so important to have those moments when you're going through, whether it's cancer or any, any kind of trial or tribulation is like that hope that thing to, to just just to hang the star on of like I'm gonna I'm gonna live for that you know and for me it was my kids that that's my guiding star and I'm so thankful that I did that because it's also a job that doesn't have an expiration so you know yeah. 
Trust me, my <laughs> oldest is an adult child, okay? It does not have an expiration. Right. You think 18's it and they're all they're gonna be grown up and they're gonna go out of the house and they're gonna do nope. She's she's texting me every day with stuff going on in her life and she's 20. And I was just like, oh, it doesn't, there's no end. There's no end. <laughs> no, exactly. So it's always giving me like something else, you know. I got to get through this and I got to get through this for them and I got to, you know, help them with this. So it's, it's great, you know? Yeah. Um, so this might be a little personal and you might not want to answer it, but I want to go back a little bit. Why did you have to get your uterus and everything removed? How is that related to cancer? Yeah. So I had, I was on tamoxifen, which is a estrogen, um, suppressant drug that a lot of estrogen positive um, breast cancer women are on and it just wreaked havoc in my system. Like I was raised by hippies. I've never eaten meat. I don't drink. So I don't really take a lot of drugs. So the drugs really gave me all the side effects. Mm -hmm. So, um, when I took them, so, um, the tamoxifen was just growing these huge cysts on my ovaries. And at one point, um, an ovary was like this big. Um, oh my gosh. And I went to four different doctors, cancer doctors. And um, that's the craziest thing is they all told me it was on my right ovary. Everything in my body has been on the left side that has gone wrong. So I was like, if it's on my right side, I'm screwed. But I also could feel it on my left. And at the time, I'm a singer songwriter. At the time, I thought, well, if it's on my right, um, and I couldn't get a surgery for like six weeks. So I said, I'm just going to go to the studio and sing and record my voice because my voice might change. I was trained opera singer. So like, I'm very in tune with how my voice sounds. So I was like, my voice might change. I just want to throw down some tracks. So I went into the studio and I recorded. And in those three weeks of recording, I could feel my left ovary kind of contracting, contracting with my deep breath because I breathe very low to sing. And, um, you know, I went in for the surgery and the doctor, I said to him, I said, you know, I'm not really feeling a lot of pain anymore down there. And I do believe it's on my left. I know you told me it's on my right. And everyone else told me the four other doctors told me it was on my right, but it's on my left. And he's like, well, we'll open you up on your right. And if you're not, if it's not there, we'll open up your left. So Lo and behold, yeah, it was on my left. And by the time they opened me up, and this was four doctors said it would never shrink. Once it's at that size, you got to take it out. And meanwhile, take out your uterus because on these drugs, you have all these side effects for uterine cancer and cervical cancer and ovarian cancer. So you might as well take out everything. They did keep one ovary on my first surgery. And then I had that failed six months later. So I had to take that one out. But when he opened me up, sure as heck it was my left and it was now that big the I had size of a it. golf ball because nobody can see it <laughs> okay yeah it was yeah. like not even it was like the size of a quarter or a nickel where before it was a grapefruit so um I had you know he I I woke up and he said this was you know this is this is why I should listen to my patients because you told me it was your left and you told me it didn't hurt anymore so we probably didn't even need to do this, but I was glad that I did it because, you know, removing all of those organs allowed me to kind of sleep better at night. And 
you know, eventually wean off some of those drugs that were, you know, causing all of these side effects um, on my body and um, just start to live a little bit of a more normal life after, you know, after the um, reverberations of, you know, you know, they put me through the other thing that they did was they put me through five kinds of menopause in five years. So I had chemo pause, which shut down my ovaries. And then about three months later, I started, you know, my cycle again. So they put me on the tamoxifen, which shut down the ovaries. And then you know, I just was like, I just was itching to get back into the game. Yeah. <laughs> my body just kept getting going back. So um, then they gave me a shot. Lupron shot, which shut down my ovaries. And that made me not able to walk and gave me like this really bad flu like symptom for a few months. So I got off of that. Um, and then I had the first operation, um, which took out everything but one ovary. And then the second ovary actually imploded in my body um, wow. six months later. And that was the worst pain I'd ever had. Um, in my life. And I had to get that removed. So finally, I am just, as I said, I'm just a hoe with a hole. (laughs) (laughs) And um, here to tell the tale. So you know, that was all from the side effects and the reverberations from cancer, even though I didn't have cancer anymore, active cancer anymore, I still had all of these other issues that kept coming up for me. So and so five five times through menopause in five years, you can imagine that's a huge emotional yes. turmoil changing, you know, it's a roller coaster of ups and downs. And, you know, for someone who hadn't cried in 10 years before I got diagnosed, boy, did I learn how to cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if I caught this right, the cancer drugs could cause you to develop cancer. Is that correct? No, the cancer drugs just, well, they, they do. Sometimes you can get leukemia. I do know a few people who did get leukemia from the drugs. Um, so that is a risk. But I just had all of these other side effects. Um, gotcha. But the cancer the cancer drugs could give you, yeah, the ovarian. You could get the ovarian cancer, the cervical cancer. Yeah, you could get the other cancers from um, the drugs. Yes, you could. So it's, yeah, it's, it's. I have a love-hate relationship with um, cancer um, treatment because it saved my life, but it also changed me forever. Yeah, if that makes and sense. It, it takes a hell of a toll on your body. Hell of a toll. Yes, yes. And so, you know, train opera singer. I was a jazz singer for many years, and uh, one great thing that uh, my friends had done for me when I was going through cancer is they. Um, they started doing these fundraisers where I would sing, you know, for um, people and um, give back money to cancer organizations. So when I, after I went through treatment, you know, I went right after my mastectomy, I was up on stage with like drains in and singing with the band. And it was just a great thing. And it gave me a lot of hope. It also allowed me to relearn how to breathe because Mm -hmm. I couldn't breathe when I was on chemo. I had this really shallow (gasps) kind of breath. And then, you know, I remembered, oh, wait, I'm a trained opera singer. Like I I can breathe way down low. And so breathing and learning how to breathe low again, um, you know, kind of saved me, you know, to, to remember that, you know, my torso is a cavern, you know, and a cap, 
a cavern that can be filled with breath. It massaged my organs inside. I think it reverberated all of my, you know, cells and everything. And I think it really helped with my healing process. So I started um, getting involved with the metastatic breast cancer women because those are the women that are still dying. And um, 114 women die every day in America. Wow. Um, and, and men from breast cancer still. That has not changed since the 70s, despite all of the awareness that we have. So I started doing um, a show every year live from stage four. And I, I brought, you know, local bands from the DC area and um, singers that I had grown up singing with. Um, were, uh, we started singing together as a group of four women, um, as background singers and lead singers, and would have the show every year and bring stage four cancer women up on stage to sing and have that moment, you know, with a, with a band backing them up. So it gave a lot of hope for them, but it also created like this real community um, between band members. And um, from that experience and recording and getting supporting these women, I sort of found my voice as a songwriter because for years I was an opera singer and a jazz singer and more of an interpreter. And I did, you know, soul music and rock, um, but I didn't, um, I hadn't written my own stuff. And so through that process, it was like, um, my therapy was sort of mm. like writing funny songs because the best way I found to get through all of the heartbreak and all the sadness in my life was to make jokes yeah. <laughs> and um, to have fun with it. So I started writing and now I have two EPs. One is Living My Breast Life and um, that's more of my hopeful there is, you know, also one sad song on there, but it's mostly hopeful and upbeat songs. And then I have my other, um, my other EP out called um, What a Nasty Woman, based on sort of like my persona during the Trump era, like a protester and Wonder Woman. And so they're really funny songs like Mansplaining and um, Triple D's, which is like not even a boob song, um, but it, it's like a triple entendre song. And of course, there's some sad songs. Uh, there's one sad song on that. I like to kind of put one sad song right in the middle of the of the album, just to kind of bring people back to reality that you know, yeah, there is humor and satire on in all my music, but there's also a real serious side to me as well. Yeah, I can relate to the telling jokes and being kind of light about things because I have bipolar disorder, which most people who listen to the podcast know. And it sometimes I just, I have to like joke around about it because it's, you know, I'll be in a depression and, I, and I'll, I'll be like, the best thing I can do right now is just make fun of the fact that this is something I live with all the time. I call it, I call depression my, because that's, been predominantly um the kind of episodes I have I do have like manic episodes but depression has been my friend since I was a little kid so I'm always joking around about my friend depression's back just hanging out like and share memes yeah. and stuff like that because like what uh what else can you do at that point in time it's not like it's not like it's gonna I mean your cancer did go away but it's not like in that moment it's not going away at that time so Right. What better way to kind of deal with it? Absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, having that, those jokes during depression is 
is the way out. You know, it, it's like, you know, you can kind of step out of, you know, the bubble of sadness, you know, where, you know, I had never made friends with depression before that, you know, I was type A, I was always upbeat. I was always there. I was mostly codependent in my relationships. Like, let me help you. Let me do this, you know, <laughs> let me make you happy. Cause I've got lots of lots in reserve, you know, and gosh, I didn't have a single ounce in reserve, you know, and my love language is to help other people. So it was like, I really made friends with depression. I mean, I, that was my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> I can it was relate. a toxic, toxic relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very toxic relationship, but, um, it was like, yeah, here we are again, you and me sitting here by ourselves and, uh, no one wants to be around the sad Rachel, you know, nobody no. wants to be around sad Rachel <laughs> and making, you know, um, and making friends with that too, and acceptance of that. Yeah, it can be really hard. I, I've I've lived with this since I was in I was a little kid, so it's been here my entire life. Um, and I can relate to being like nobody wants to be around me right now in this moment in time because I'm not fun. And I I remember uh, kind of flipping out on somebody because uh, I was in my master's for psychology and I was on the verge of a severe depression. It was like moderate, but it was getting pretty bad. And I remember like being really snappy with somebody because I just didn't have it. I didn't have it. And I was not a nice person and I was not fun to be around. Usually I'm upbeat and bubbly and, you know, uh, fun to be around, but I, I'm just, I'm not, not when I'm depressed and nobody wants to be around that. No. And I, and I, you know, had to really figure that out. I'm so sorry that, you know, you have, you have your struggles with that because that's, it's tough. And I, I didn't even, I didn't even understand it. You know, I was, I was so innocent, you know, um, I was so innocent, but I, I definitely understand the depths of despair, you know, and I now kind of can figure out a little bit more of understanding, okay, well, you know, that's a container, you know, I can, I can pop out of the container and kind of look over it and say, okay, I got to see, I have, you know, I have lots of mantras from going through everything, but one of them is like, okay, what is, I got to see the forest of the trees, you know, um, and gratitude as silly as it sounds. I, you know, before I was such a cynic before I got sick, you know, I thought, <laughs> Oh, gratitude journals, like, oh, BS. But man, I've never been a journaler, but, you know, gratitude is the attitude for me. Like, if I find myself in that space, it's like, okay. Um, and I'm not a religious person either, but, you know, the saying of counting your blessings, like, it's like, okay, what went right today? You know, mm -hmm. even if it was just breath in my body, you know, I breathed deeper today than I did yesterday. You know, I took, I took a few steps today, you know, um, I've been in that place, you know, or, or, you know, Hey, you know, this and that didn't go right today, but you know, I got to see my kids smile today and, you know, I got to, you know, eat a great dinner with them and have that moment. That's a win for me. You know, um, even though I was miserable throughout the entire day, I got those things. And so now I kind of have trained myself to, I mean, there's times that it just overwhelms you and you can't get out of it. Um, and, you know, 
allowing myself, you know, I, I, there's a whole bunch of A words that, you know, start healing. The healing process begins with A's, I say. So like acceptance, awareness, allowing, amends, apology, um, all of those, all of those words, you know, so I cling on those too. So allowing, allowing myself to be sad, you know, allowing that and accepting the fact that I am sad and being aware that I'm sad is the first step to healing and not letting it, you know, tsunami over me um, and just be lost in it, you know, and being like, okay, I'm actually sad right now. And it's okay. It's okay. Why don't I just be sad today, you know, and allow myself to be sad. Um, So that sort of has shifted so it's like, okay, I can allow myself to be sad. And, um, and then tomorrow, I'm going to try to, you know, do something to get out of it. And music is the way that I get out of it. You know, I sit at the piano, I start playing, even if it's just, you know, some, I'm not a great piano player, but I'll pull out, <laughs> you know, some Mozart or some Bach or something and just start playing a little bit and working my brain. And that gets me into the flow state. So anything that you can do, you know, for anybody listening, I tell people, if you can find that thing that can get you into the flow state. So out of the the monkey brain that's going around and going around and going around and get into the flow state of there is none of that, that voice anymore in your head. You're just trying to figure something out technical or artistically So, you know, I'm a terrible piano player, but I sit down at the piano and I sight read and I go real slow. And then all of a sudden I'm not thinking about the things that make me sad anymore. And then I'll, I'll take out a song book. You know, I love seventies music. So I'll take out some of my dad's old seventies song books. um, And I'll just open it up and be like, ah, Burt Bacharach today. Let's do it. Like, let's, let's, you know, clunk, clunk real bad on the piano, but I can sing the song the heck out of the song, you know, so that will get me kind of out of that stuck place. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it's good for people to have hobbies. So, um, I know someone who has been struggling with mental health lately and a lot of chaos that's going on in their life. And I was like, take up a hobby, take, like learn to, to knit or crochet or do something like that, that can keep your mind off of what's going on and kind of like you said, take you out of that space and allow you an opportunity. Um, So as we wrap up the podcast today, because the time goes by really fast, uh, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Well, you know, I just think um, breathing is essential. So breath work, whether it's you're meditating and you're doing, you know, the breath fire, or you're just doing a simple meditation of breathing in for breathing out for, or you're singing, singing is a breath um, release. So any type of release um, breath wise is so crucial to get through any kind of traumatic event or anything that is ailing you. So, um, and we're going to be doing a wonderful, um, we're, we, we took a break from doing the um, breast cancer uh, survivor thriver concerts, but now we're going to do one 
for Cancer Culture, my new nonprofit um, with my co-founder, Beth Fairchild. We're going to be doing a concert in D.C. October 17th, where we're going to have breast cancer um, survivors and thrivers from all over the country coming to D.C. We're going to be performing live with our, with my band um, at Songbird Music Cafe, um, Songbird Music House, excuse me, um, in D.C. on October 17th. And um, Cancer Culture is our nonprofit that, you know, is do, we're doing retreats, we're doing um, healing through music and fashion and art. So right now we just, um, two days ago, we just did our first um, show post um, pandemic um, in New York for New York Fashion Week with Anna Ono, the designer of, um, of uh, breast cancer lingerie. So we had 30 women walk the runway for New York Fashion Week, which I had the privilege of doing pre-pandemic for, um, for with Beth. So that was great. And um, next week, we're going to Milan to do Milan Fashion Week wow. with, um, a, you know, five women from the U.S. and then um, I think 15 women from Italy um, who are breast cancer survivors and thrivers to walk the runway um, with designers from Italy. So, you know, giving people that hope, that thing to look forward to, and that like great experience of showing themselves on stage and working through their fear. You know, breast cancer women have already worked through so much fear. Cancer people in general have worked through so much fear that they really are fearless when they are on stage. So it's really fun to see somebody walk the runway or somebody sing on stage or someone tell their story um, in a documentary um, on a retreat to just share and have that moment of passing on their magic to other people. So that's sort of what we're doing with cancer culture. And um, we're really looking forward to launching even bigger next year. So um, this is a new, newish pro, uh, project for us. It was um, kind of a, uh, um, it was a nonprofit that one of our friends had passed away who was running it and uh, we reestablished it as um, cancer culture from cancer land. And um, she started doing fashion shows and music and retreats. And so we're just, we're just taking the, um, taking the initiative and moving it forward to the next level. So we're, we're looking forward to really making some impacts and changing people's lives through experiences and telling their story. So where can people get the information about what you're doing in case they're interested? And you probably you probably gave me the the website or whatever, but go ahead and just put yeah. it out there. <laughs> yeah. So um uh cancerculture.org. Um you can find the nonprofit or at We Are Cancer Culture on Instagram and Facebook. And um for my music, we're gonna. I'm I'm working on new songs now, so hopefully we'll be recording and we're gonna be putting out um, also recordings of other survivors and thrivers. So you can find my music at Rachel Burns uh, Music um, on every platform: Spotify, iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. You can find me there at Rachel Burns Music at right. or RachelBurnsMusic.com. I, I probably have those links, but I figured you could just put it out there and I'd write it down in case I don't have them. Um, no, so, it's fine. Thank you. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you for holding space for so many women. It's really inspiring. And um, I'm really grateful that you had me join you today. 
Thank you for tuning in with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or review. Follow us on social media at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, The Inspired Women Podcast.